I pray that, that now as, as we hear your word and as we, we, we go from this place, Jesus, that we would choose now in our lives to bow before you um, and serve you with everything we have. I pray that in your name. Yes, yes, am I on? Check, 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 check. Hello, my name is Randy Beggs, and it is a joy to be uh, in your church. I thank Nathan and Andy Bob and Brother Lee for having me um, here in Alito. I don't live far from here, and so that was nice, too. I got to sleep in my own bed, not like on an air mattress or some random house, um, you know, doing that deal. And so it was a blessing, and I'm going to pray in a moment. I want you to pray with me again, but before we get there, I do want to thank the church um, for, um, this is a good church, right, I'm untucked, that's huge, uh, it's a great start, all right, uh, I was like, do I need to wear a tie, they were like, just make sure you have a shirt on, I was like, all right, all right, so just a shirt, and so no pants, I'm just kidding, uh, and so um, I'm here, and um, I also want to thank the church, because last night, we, um, in, this, is, this is also kind of new for me. We all indulged in this sinful act together out on a gravel road at some guy's house. I don't know if I can pick him out here today, but they had a 50-foot table with some bread on it when I got there, and then they just started unleashing every single meat item in the meat world. Some of you probably shot some of this stuff, and they just cooked it, and they laid it out for 50 feet, and we just started eating. And I don't know, um, I, I, I sent a video to my wife and I said, babe, we've got some work to do, all right? So I left and went to Walmart last night and bought 700 pounds of meat, all right? It's all, it's just in a fridge somewhere. So I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse of what has happened for me this weekend, but in Alito, Texas, you know how to eat, all right? Like I saw a kid gnawing on a pig's head. I was like, that is crazy. All right, so I'm, and then the guy said, yeah, we did it two weeks ago at the men's retreat. And I was like, I'm in. I'll teach Sunday school. What do you want me to do? We'll just move our membership. We'll just jump over to Alito. We love your schools, your champions. I'll be a part of it. All right? So I'm here. Father, I ask God in this time, in this season, Lord, that we'll yield to your power, your presence. We need you. We need you. And God, we can sing and we can lift our voices and we can direct our attention and Lord, we live in a time, well, time is part of our distraction away from you. So God, right now in this church, on this Sunday morning, in this hour, we designate this time to a thing we call worship. We didn't make it up. You gave it to us. You gave it to us in the person and the presence of your son, Jesus Christ. A kingdom inherited as believers, there's one here today that doesn't know you, Lord. If it's a student or adult, if it's a grandparent or a parent, if it's a child, that God, they could leave here today from this place and say it was on that day at that worship service that is the Lord's, my life was changed for the better. So Lord, I just... I give that to you, Lord. That's my prayer. That's my purpose, Lord. Let me not be a distraction. Let me not get in the way. Let me not try to be talented. Let me not try to be knowledgeable. Let me not try to be charismatic. God, let me step away. And Lord, let you shine. And so, Father, we lay this down. We ask, God, for your your word and your promise, Lord, to be made known here today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you would, put a finger in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, real quick, we'll look at one verse and then put a finger in Matthew 25. Matthew 25 will be kind of the, the key scripture. It's kind of where we'll spend the majority of our time this week with your students, uh, or this weekend, excuse me, with your students. Um, we, um, we're our theme thought, if you would have it, kind of our central thought was this. It came out of John 10, 10, which in John 10, 10, it says that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, right? That the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And there's a comma there and it says, but I have come, Jesus says, but I have come that they may have life. They, that's you, the church, the people, the students, us, that they may have life and they can have it abundantly or they can have it in fullness, it might say in your translation, 
And so the idea is there's a double implication here. And this is what we've talked about with the students. The first implication is, is that there is no life outside of Christ. Like there's no life outside of Jesus. Now the world will tell you that Jesus is just one way amongst many other ways. But the Bible tells us, and in John 10, the first implication we see in that one scripture, that small one scripture, we see that he is the way, that Jesus is life. He brings life to us. Do you understand the depth of the miracle that we are dead in our transactions? We are dead in our sin and we're made alive in Christ. That's a miracle. That's a miracle that God's given us. We're gonna look at that in, in a moment a little bit deeper. But really the, the second or the deeper implication in this scripture is what we hung on to. It's what we gnawed on, like that meat on that table. All right, and that was this. That not only do we get life in Christ, but we see in that verse that it's something that we get abundantly. So that means this, that we get life in Christ, we're transformed, we're saved. There's a radical difference. We looked at a lot of scriptures. We looked at Romans 5 and Romans 6, and in Romans 6, 5 through 10, we saw that our old self is crucified away with him and our new self is raised to walk in the newness of life with him. The church celebrates this in the act of baptism, and we talked about that as well in the second sermon that we did on Saturday night or morning. And we, we looked at it and we detailed what that meant. So we're brought to life in Christ. But what we learned in John 10, verse 10, the B part of that verse, is not only do we get life in Christ, but because we now have life in Christ, we now realize the church, the believer, the people, that it's the only life we want. See, that's the sweeter implication. It doesn't stop just with salvation. Right, we've, we've kind of led this generation and my generation, right, I'm like, I'm like what they call an ex-lineal, right, I'm like right on the, I'm millennial, but not really. I'm like right on the fringe. I know half of you are judging me. You're like, millennials should be talking like this. That boy's crazy. Where's his mom? All right, but, but we, 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 with this generation, the church spends so much time thinking around the act of salvation, which is important. It is important that we talk about salvation. But when are we gonna start talking about in our salvation, the greatest thing you can have is life in Christ forever, forever. What's the greatest scripture tell us in the Bible? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that those that believeth in him shall not perish, but have, what? What is that word? Everlasting life. We're alive. And so we saw in that same scripture in Romans, we've been set free, we've been called out one. We're the called out ones, we're Christians. And then last night we talked about the how-to. We walked through the how-to, and we looked in, um, in John chapter 15, 26 through 16 and 11, and we talked about that the Bible gives us, or the scriptures tell us about what's left to us, which is the helper, the Holy Spirit. And we talked about in this Christian life, it's not designed that we get life, and then we realize it's the life we want, but then somehow we kind of go rogue from that and do a bunch of things to try to make our life matter or count or be impressive, try to just design this perception in and around our lives like maybe we're spiritual or we know a lot about God, but know that we return always to the helper, that the helper, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a guide, as a teacher, and we connected that to the oneness of community and the oneness of community so if you're ever in the church and you think, why do we have a reconciliation group and why do we have a prayer ministry and why do we have Sunday school classes or life groups or worship groups or growth groups or whatever group you wanna call it, why do we have all of those things in the church? Why does that exist for us in the church? And here's the answer. It exists because in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And Jesus says, 
in verse two that he is God and that community, the idea of it exists before the foundations of the world in the Father, Son, and Spirit. So the Spirit's given to us. He's a helper. We rely on it. We come back to it, always pointing us in a direction. And so that brings us to, to, to this morning, to today, Matthew 25. Well, what do we look like as a community of believers? Like, what steps do we take? How do we get there? What happens? Who should we model this after? Well, we model it after Jesus. Before we look at Matthew 25, Jesus did three things in his ministry in no particular order. Jesus did three things in his ministry in no particular order when you go through the Gospels. He taught and he preached and he healed. He taught and he preached and he healed. Right, and you see that in kind of a constant rhythm throughout the Gospels of the New Testament. And you see Jesus operating in this manner of worthiness. And then he calls this, this group of fellers to walk around with him and to kind of experience the power of this movement that is, this gospel movement, this Jesus-centeredness that surra that's surrounded by Jesus himself, right? In his teaching, we begin to see that the formation of what we're supposed to do as Christians is being modeled to us by Jesus Christ. Jesus healed over 31 times in the Gospels. He preached openly on hillsides and out of boats. He taught in parables so that those who followed him could learn from him. He simplified his approach. And then he says that he's come in Mark 10, 45, and we shared this scripture as well. That Jesus says, I've come uh, to be served. I've, I'm sorry, I've come not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And I talked about the heartburn of that scripture, especially for the disciples, because it wasn't, it wasn't long before this, the disciples were wrestling around who's gonna be the greatest of the disciples. And Jesus looks into their hearts and he looks into uh, their approach to ministry, if you would have it, and he says to them, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So the theology, if you would have it, of today's message, it's not a theology from my philosophy of ministry. It's not. It's theology from Mark 10, 45, from the lips of Christ. Over 80 times Jesus called himself the Son of Man. Think about the humility of his title. Most of you live in and around a title. Dad, director, barista, grandma. You live by titles. Almost everybody in here has got a title that describes some area of your life. And it could be more significant than others. Or you could think it's more significant than your neighbors. Jesus had a title for himself. The son of man, that he would come down in the likeness of man and do for man what man can't do for himself. So today's central idea is kind of surrounded around uh, one thought. It's this. I had to write it down on a sticky note. I tried to memorize a lot, but I didn't have this one memorized. It's this. The kingdom of God is opposed because it poses a threat to every other kingdom, including your personal kingdom. Let me say it again. The kingdom of God is opposed because it poses a threat to every other kingdom, including your personal kingdom. So in Matthew 25, this is what we see in verse 31. We're gonna go through 31 through 40. It's called this final judgment. And I want us to look at the contrast that we see here uh, between what Jesus is saying and how the disciples respond to it. In 31, he says, there it is again, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he'll separate people from one another as, shepherd, as, a, as a shepherd separates the sheep 
from the goats. So he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he'll sit on his glorious throne and he'll begin to separate sheep from the goats. The sheep indicates the obedient. The sheep indicates the ones who have acknowledged that they need a shepherd, that they hear the voice, that they understand the command. They're taught to go and to do and to respond. And what do they do? They respond in a way. The goats eat the bark off your trees at night. They'll spear you when you turn around. They'll ram their head right down your back. They're silly little things, but they're goats. And they, they separate the sheep from the goats. Why do we need to separate the sheep from the goats? Because salvation matters. And in the totality of God's holiness, he'll never allow himself to not be just. He can't do that. He's a just God. Friend, look at me. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And if anybody in this room, young or old, thinks they're gonna get the benefits of the cross without dealing with the sins that required the cross in the first place, you'll go to hell. You will. You'll be a goat. You won't know his voice. You won't obey. And you'll be separated. It's not my word. It's his word. I say all of that to say this and the gravity of that scripture. It's important today that we realize that we have a soul to deal with on this side of things. We do. We do have a soul to deal with, a darkness to deal with. And separation, the implication of the scripture is that separation is real. It's real. It's either be in the presence of him eternally or be in the presence without him eternally. That's it. I can teach it in the simplicity of one sentence. He says, he goes on to say this. He says, where am I? Oh, and he'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Verse 34 says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now listen, that's what makes it good. Right, like that's the good news, right? That Jesus on our behalf knows that those who know his voice will follow. And he says, before the, before the um, um, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world, like it's given to us, it's a gift to us, we inherit this. Ephesians talks about the gravity of, of what it looks like for the believer to be called out by God into salvation. Uh, Ephesians 1 talks about the mystery of it. Paul talks about the mystery of it. The mystery of it is this, that we're dead in our transgressions, and that God so loved the world he gave his son. And then John 6 says that none come to the Father unless he draws you. You begin to hear his voice and you know it and you follow him, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, your entirety, your existence becomes connected to the deep reality that you've been saved. Now listen to me, look here real quick. I am not here today to preach so that a bunch of people can get saved. I know, that sounds crazy. I'll say it again. I, I'm not here today to preach so that a lot of people can get saved, even though that's important. And I would, I want that. Like nobody who's in the gospel, preaching the gospel wouldn't want that. Like I want that. Like I want to see salvation, but that's not why I'm here. 
I'm here preaching to your church in Aledo, Texas today because I've been saved. <laughs> and I've heard the call. And I just want to relay the message of the call for your lives to respond. That a responsiveness is important. So the whole A part of this verse, I'm sorry, of this scripture that we're looking at is that the benefits of trying to get the benefits of the cross without dealing with the sins that required the cross in the first place is problematic. Repentance always is the bloodline to our walk with Christ. It's the starting point in salvation for us. It's the continual point in spiritual growth. So today, ask yourself that question. Ask yourself that question. When's the last time did the altar of this church matter in your life? When was the last time you stepped back? Like I asked these students last night to step back and think about how much they really love the sweetness of the relationship they have in Christ. Like how sweet is it to them? How real is it to them? Ask yourself that. I did it this way. I used an analogy. This is the only cross analogy I'm going to use in this sermon because the students have heard it but call me crazy. Like, have you ever been eating something or gone to eat something and before you've gone to eat it, adults, this is for you, gone to eat it, before you get whatever it is that fancies you, it could be steak or cheesecake or anything in between, right? Maybe you're weird, like I just, maybe it's just pickles, I don't know. Like whatever it is that just kind of gets you going, like you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, right? And you go and you put whatever that is on the fork and you take whatever that is on the fork and you go to put it in your mouth and you're hungry. But before you get whatever it is on the fork to your mouth, your mouth starts to have a fiesta for it before you taste it. Am I crazy? Has this happened? Is this not real? It doesn't happen often. Like not every time I eat, do I like lose my mind for whatever it is I'm gonna eat? I don't know if it's because it's a hungry thing or what, but, but call me crazy, is that real for you? Right, and then you take a bite of whatever it is and you put it in your mouth and you take the fork or the spoon out and you're like, oh, there's a God. <laughs> and then you cut in to bite two and before you can get bite two all the way to your mouth, your mouth starts to have a fiesta for it again, right? You start salivating. And if, you, if, you, if you're one of the real weird ones, you'll even start spitting out of your mouth before you even get to your mouth. It's kind of nasty, right? Like it can happen. Like what's happening here, right? So your body and your brain is salivating for something to kind of, to kind of nourish you in this moment, to satisfy you in this moment. And it's temporary, because what happens when you get like four bites in? You really kind of want to keep having a fiesta in your mouth, but it goes away. And then you're kind of like, well, I guess I'll move to the next item on the plate, all right? Like what? So it's this temporary thing. And so it is with a relationship in God. So it is for those that are sheep that hear the call and the command in their lives, and they follow them in obedience, and they follow them in worship, they begin to salivate at the thought of the gospel in their life. They begin to cling and to claw after the things that are good. They begin to want more and more and more and more and more, and before they can get the second spiritual bite to their mouth, they celebrate, they begin to salivate. They have a spiritual fiesta for the things that God's doing in and of their heart. That's the sheep, that's not the goats. Now think of the gravity of that, of that reality. Do we salivate for the Lord in such a way that we cling to the promises of the cross and the banner and the glory of his hope in our lives? Because if we do, we become part B of this sermon. But if we don't, we become this. The people of God trying to do the work of God apart from the power of God. One scholar says that perhaps the greatest hindrance to the spread of the gospel in America is that the people of God have trained themselves to try to do the work of God apart from the power of the God, a power of God. The power of God 
comes through the helper, the Holy Spirit, doctrine of pneumatology. Trust and faith in him to do all things for his good and for his glory. And so there's a responsiveness for the church here because this is what happens. There's conflict. There's some contrast. Jesus says in verse 35, he says, for I was hungry and you gave me food and I was thirsty and you gave me drink. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food and I was thirsty and you gave me drink. Jesus is actually referencing here the poor, the, the needy, those that can't fend for themselves. They can't actually satisfy their hunger, their actual hunger and their actual thirst, right? And he's talking about that. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food and I was thirsty and you gave me drink. And then he says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then he says, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when, when did you see, when did we see you hungry and feed you? So now they're asking the questions back, right? Then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and, and visit you? But real quick, let's just look at those things. Real quick, let's just look at those things that Jesus talks about, what the church, the responsiveness to salvation, the responsiveness of Mark 10, 45, the theology of today that Jesus says, I've come not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And that the church, the sheep, those who hear the call, those who follow, those who are obedient, begin to take on a formation in the church that looks like this. Because again, he says, for I was hungry and you gave me food and I was thirsty and you gave me drink. He's talking about those that can't do those things for themselves. A stranger that whom could have been actually naked is a drifter in this ancient time. And what they would do is the drifters would come to the center of town to try to be noticed so that they could get help. And guess who helped them? The Christians helped them. The Christians saw the drifters. The Christians saw the naked and clothed them. The hungry and the thirsty gave a, guess, guess who invited them to their tables? The Christians did. The Christians invited them in, spent time with them. That's what they did in this ancient time. And he says, I was, in, I was sick and you visited me. Guess who would travel miles to visit those who were sick, sometimes to a half to a full day to be with those and pray with those who were sick and then travel back to their families. The Christians did. The Christians were, were imparting on that journey. Then he says, I was in prison and you came to me. I was in prison and you came to me. It was absolutely, unbelievably outside of the realm for someone in that time who had been struck down and in prison to be visited in that manner. But guess who visited those in prison? The Christians did. The Christians visited them there and showed them love and talked about truth and spent time with them. Yeah, and then he says, and then they ask these, these series of questions of when you saw it in verse 40, it's kind of the crescendo of it. And the king will answer them. And he says, truly I say to you, as much, truly I say to you, as, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. So Jesus ties in and unlocks for us the missional paradigm of our lives, our existence as the church is to be a place that stands in the gap of all of the darkness that surrounds us. Holy committed, W-H-O-L-L-Y, committed to the promise and the practices of Christ. It's not a methodology thing. This isn't a methodology issue. 
No, no, this is Jesus saying, this is what the church does. This is how the church operates in its existence. This is what it looks like. But guess what the Christians had to deal with in this same season? You know what it was? Persecution. Interestingly, interestingly, when they would show their hand to the needy, those who were hungry and thirsty and naked and needed clothing, and the sick and the poor, and those in prison, or those that they would travel to visit and pray over, everywhere they went, they dealt with persecution. They were hated on, beaten and broken, and left out for the dry and the cold, but they kept pressing on. How do you think we got here today? How do you think we got here today in this worship service? We got here today on the very doctrine of Matthew 25, 31 through 40, on the declaration of sacrifice and endurance and obedience and the command of the call and we didn't get here with going around persecution. We got here today as a persecuted people. And who will we be tomorrow and the next day and the next day around the world as Christians? A persecuted people. That's who we'll be. But why do we do it? Because we're called to it. How do we sustain it? We have a helper. And what do we declare? We declare glory. And why do we declare glory? Because this earth is not our stopping ground. And how do we know this earth's not our stopping ground? Because in the totality of God's holiness, who knows no sin, he sends his son Jesus to do for us on the cross what we can't do for ourselves. For God so loved the world, that's vertical, that he gave his only begotten son that those that believe it in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is not where we stop. This is what we pass through into something that is eternal and all satisfying and so good and so gracious that no matter how much they try to stop us from loving the world that has need, no matter how hard they try to stop us from loving those that can't clothe themselves, that can't feed themselves, that can't fend for themselves. And as the wolves come in the form of things like government and religious liberties being sucked out by the ounce every single day, we stand in the gap as Christians and say, you can persecute us. You can bring your trials against us. You can try to stop us. You can try to push us out. You can try to outcast us. You can try to change the narrative, but you will not succeed because the risen one, Jesus, all surpassing glory, that in the chief of who God is and the totality of his holiness has made a way for us back to him. And so I have only one thing in this life left to do. Serve, serve, because my ransom has been paid in full. And the theology of it is not that you do for yourselves, but that we return to the altar, the beck and call of God's call in our life as sheep, the ones who hear and know and trust and obey because we're meek. and we still have needs and we're all susceptible to the very things that we have to serve. All of us are susceptible in this room to tomorrow's homelessness, tomorrow's need for hunger and nakedness and being outcast. But we follow after him. Now it's lived out. And I didn't tell you to flip there, but very quickly I'm gonna read it because it's lived out in the post-ascension of Christ in Acts chapter two, verse 42. You don't have to flip there, I'm gonna go quickly. I'm gonna go quickly in Acts chapter two, verse 42. It's called the fellowship of the believers. And it's lived out, and I just want you to listen. I really, I don't want you to read, I want you to listen. 
All right, because I want you to think through what you hear here. In Acts 2, post-ascension, Jesus is flowed to the right-hand throne of God. The disciples are left to do the work of him and the power of him. The Holy Spirit's come across them. They start to live out. Matthew 25, 31 through 40, they start to live it out. But this is what it looks like. It's given to us in the scripture. It says, and they devoted themselves, devoted, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy committed, all in, all in. Remember, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men off the Lake of Galilee. They followed him. They saw the biggest fish fry in the history of the world. They saw the weather changed by Jesus as he walked on it. They saw the greatness and the glory of him and they saw him float up in the sky to the right-hand throne of God. And it says in that scripture that there was one on the ground that was like, I don't even know if he's real. They still didn't believe. Like he was floating in the sky back to God. And there's people questioning his power, his validity, his strength. And now the church is operating out of Matthew 25, 31 through 40. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to breaking bread and to prayer. So they ate at a 50-foot table with pig heads and meat and sausage. And they had bread. That was a real, I'm, I'm good. I was convicted last night. I'm good. It's very spiritual, right? And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But then what? To the fellowship, the church, the community, the community that's breathed out of Father, Son, and Spirit Right? And then all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through whom? The apostles. It's not capitalized. This is the people of God doing the work of God through the power of God. It says, and all who believed were together and they had all things in common. And all who believed were together and they had all things in common. Now look at me. I'm gonna go back to it, but look at me. Did you know that because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that in this place today, in this church, in this city, in this town today, that the reason that we're in common is because of the gospel? And if the gospel didn't exist in this room, look around at the people around you, they would be your enemy. They'd be your enemies. It'd take about a half conversation before we started lobbing grenades. But the church in its existence because of the gospel and the glory of God, there's a commonality that brings us here. And the sheep follow the shepherd together. And when one gets away, we call for them. We need them back. We need her to come back to church. We need her in the community. That's what's happening. It says all who believed were together and had things in common, 45, they sold their possessions and belongings and distrib distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They started getting crazy. They started having these awesome garage sales. They're selling their possessions and their belongings. They're distributing these proceeds so that proceeds so that they can survive. And then it says, and day by day, they attend the temple together and they break bread in their homes. Like they have home group and they come together. Like tonight, you're gonna have a Super Bowl party with your home group. It's okay. I think it's in there somewhere. It says Tom Brady in my notes down here. I'm just kidding. All right, and so they break bread in their homes and then they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. They were generous. Like they were glad to have what they had and they praised God. What did they do? They praised God. They had favor with all people and the Lord did what? He added to their number day by day those who were being saved. <laughs> so he grew the church. Multiplication right here. Friends, this is all I want to do today. I'm going to end with this. There's nothing in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 that's complicated. That's not complicated. They ate together. They prayed together. They fellowshiped together. They were devoted to the teachings of the pastor 
and the pastors together. And they had unity as a church and fellowship together. It's an awkward call of togetherness. That's what Christianity is. The more and more I do this, the more and more I preach, the more and more I go and express the gift God's put in me, I just realize I'm asking a bunch of random strangers who don't know me and I'll probably never see you again to continue to plug on to that awkward call of Christianity. Knocking a door, hugging a soul, smiling at your work. But you know what the conflict is today? The conflict today is that some of you know so much about God and you know so much about your Bible and you know so much about the relationship with God and over the years you've got so caught up in just the workings of the church and the things you're supposed to do and kind of your time and your talent and your tithe is such a, it's such a, it's such a rhythm to you that though you know a lot about God, you've become inoculated to the real relationship with Jesus Christ. You're far from him but you won't let your soul admit it because you care more about what the person next to you thinks about you than what you think about your own relationship with Jesus. Be careful. You might be a goat. You might be a goat. Straying upon a path that's gonna get rockier and rockier and rockier but the church in Acts 2, 42 through 47, it exists and it operates from the philosophy of ministry of Matthew 25, 31 through 40, which is theologically supported from the lips of Jesus, that our ransom has been paid and we should act as if we are here to serve above and beyond all things. I'm gonna ask you the same question that I asked the youth over the course of the weekend. Do you know him? Do you know his call in your life? Like when he speaks, do you respond? Do you follow him? Are you wholly committed, W-H-O-L-L-Y? Have you trusted in him? Is he your father and yet your friend? Do you need him? Nobody can answer that for you, but you. Only you can answer that for yourself. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or how long you've been on this journey or off this journey. The time is now. The time is now to know Christ. It is. I'll end with this. Man, the more and more I look at the depths of God's word, I begin to realize that the right way is often the hard way. Like it's the hard way. The right thing is the harder thing to do. The right path is a harder path. Being right before God is a hard sacrifice because of the cross. The cross of Christ. The right way for us. You with me? The right way for us was the hard way for him. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we need you. And God, we yield in this time to your presence, to your power. God, I step back and I ask that this church right now, God, no matter who they are or where they are or where they're from or what's going on in their lives or what they've dealt with or not dealt with, would ask themselves the deep-seated question of knowing your voice in their life and following it, trusting in it, 
being faithful to it? Like, do they salivate, God, for more of you? No matter what it costs them, no matter what the sacrifice is, do they salivate for more of it? Do they view their job as the mission field that you've given them? Do they view their neighbor as as worthy as themselves? Do they want to break bread? Do they want to be in the circle of prayer together? Do they want to serve their community, go across the seas to the nations? Right now, do they? Ask yourself that question. Sir, ask yourself that question. Ma'am, ask yourself that question. Student, ask yourself that question. Like, do you want him in such a way that you know it's going to be radical what happens for you tomorrow? Just in the way you view life, the way you respond to your friends and your neighbors and your family and your co-workers. Are you seeking the mission of God's truth in your life? Is Matthew 25, 31 through 40 a reality? Is Acts 2, 42 through 47 something you're experiencing? Maybe you're in the room and you've heard the gospel many times. Or maybe you're in the room and this is the first time you've heard the gospel. You're just not sure. Like right now, man, you see the sheep and you see the goats and you see them separated. And you're uncertain. Let me invite you to pray with me. That's you. I can't guarantee this prayer saves you. But what I can guarantee is that you're making a conscious change in your life in this very moment to ask God to do something radical in your heart and your life. John 15 says those that are saved, the subjective evidence to our salvation is faithfulness and fruit. There's a fruitfulness. We begin to live and breathe out these very things we preached about today. So if that's you in this room, you say, you know what, man, I just, let me pray through this. Let me ask him, pray this with me, just quietly to the depths of your soul, to the depths of your conscience. God, I want to be changed. Change my life. I want to walk with you and I want to talk with you. Based on Romans 6, 5 through 10, I don't want to be enslaved to my sin. Ask him that. Lord, set me free. Set me free from my sinfulness. Change my direction and my path today, God. I ask you that. Ask him. That, Lord, I want to trust in you and you alone for all strength sufficient by your blood and that cross that your hard way is my right way. Pray that. That God, your hard way through your son is the right way. Pray this lastly, Holy Spirit, do a work in me. Draw me in this time, Holy Spirit. I'm gonna go old school. I want you to just keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. I can't promise you that prayer saved you, but again, I can promise you that there's a change that can occur in your life right now if you trust in Christ. If that was you, if you prayed that in a radical way, in a transformational way, like I want life differently, would you just raise your hand in here, all eyes closed, just, just between you and I. If that were you today, you prayed that, amen, right here. And amen back here. Anywhere else, just quickly slide your hand real quick. I just want to acknowledge that in your life, amen, brother there. Two students here brother back here. Father, I ask that in the spirit of courageousness, God, that these would seek out that next step, that the church would hold fast the responsibility of discipling these, both students and adults that lifted their hands, that there's no shame, that right now there's no shame for us in this, in Alito, Texas. That right now, that the promise of the gospel and the practice of the church worked in unison to see those declare 
maybe for the first time or for a time in their life that radically they want righteousness in their life and they want to be different than the things of the world. And let us rejoice in that. In song and in practice and in truth, let us rejoice in that. Father, I pray for the rest of these, where they go tomorrow, how they get there, who they talk to, what it looks like, all the things that make up the rhythms of their life from being dads and fathers and grandparents, co-workers, students, that God, they hold fast the responsibility of the missional paradigm that you've put before us in Matthew 25, 31 through 40, that we, we accept the hard road because it's the right way. We do hard things because it's right standing. We have hard conversations so that people's lives can be right. Lord, we trust in you and we love you. And I'm thankful, God, for this time and for this season. Lord, as we lift our voices and we stand to our feet, if there's one, slip that hand up, God, that you would just give them the courage to find in the church a pastor with whom they trust, to have a deeper conversation about what's next. And let us rejoice in that. God, we love you. We thank you for the cross. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. That you've given us life. And it's the one we want. It's the one we need. It's the only way. We love you. 